My name is Noel Joshua Hadley. This is the Unexpected Cosmology, and we're looking at the X marks the spot in Unexpected tonight. It's all coming together. My research over the last, oh, I don't know, so many years looking into the Millennial Kingdom, the Mandela Effect, the multiverse, it's all getting squeezed into one presentation tonight. Oh, and by the way, this needs to be said. I need to get ahead of all the comments that are going to go on to YouTube. I'm in no way, shape, or form advocating any kind of Christ consciousness. No, you do not need to ascend through the different dimensions. Please do not think that I am even advocating that. If Philip K. Dick is advocating that, then that's on him. It's not on me. On the other hand, I am fully convinced that the Mandela effect is a thing that perceived reality around us is being altered. It's being changed. And I've been pretty sold on the multiverse theory. <laughs> You're probably wondering why in the world is Hitler on the screen. Well, let's find out. The Millennial Kingdom already happened. Philip K. Dick and the first Mandela effect by yours truly, Noel Joshua Hadley. Everyone seems to think Nelson Mandela was the first Mandela effect. But then what about Hitler winning the war? I bet you forgot about that one already. Philip K. Dick wrote about it in his 1962 novel, The Man in the High Castle. It wasn't simply a matter of science fiction, though. No, for Dick, it very likely happened. Hitler winning the war. And is, in fact, one of the parallel realities branching off among our plurality of worlds. That is to say, Hitler's winning of the war may have been a matter of tangible day-to-day -day experience among the souls trapped within the womb of our earth until the, I don't know, the programmers move the pieces several squares back on the cosmic chessboard, thereby resetting the outcome. Mind you, Dick was talking about computer simulation theory some 40 years before the, before the Mandela effect was even a thing. Come to think of it, I much prefer the Hitler effect over the lame title we are given now, though I can think of one even better. Because not even Nazi Germany was the first alteration. According to Dick, it was the millennial kingdom of Yahushua HaMashiach. Yeah, I almost fell out of my chair when I learned about the millennial kingdom aspect of Philip K. Dick's theory as well. It came by total accident. Oh, one thing leading to another sort of approach to research. The short of it is I decided to listen into Dick's landmark speech at a 1977 sci-fi uh, convention in Metz, France, thinking I would have something to add to my Lion and the Lamb paper regarding Adolf, Joseph Goebbels, and, and company. I even sat there with my notepad as though I were a member of his audience in a scribbled title which read, Hitler won the war, the first Mandela effect. Nobody prepared me for what I was about to hear. Indeed, Dick had something far more savory cooking up in the kitchen. And I can only deduce that my posse of readers, of researchers, hadn't even taken the time to listen to it for themselves, or else I would have been receiving reports of all the gallstones being passed. That's how truly scrum-diddly-umptious this, um, this information is. You should know that I also took the time to transcribe his speech, word for word, most of it anyways, or a great chunk of it. I will lay it out for you in the coming pages. But first, there is some information which probably needs established in regard to the multiverse for anyone that needs caught up. The idea of parallel universes is not a new one. 
the argument can be traced to the Greek atomist of the pre-Socratic era. But even they likely brought their information forward from the mystery religions, just as Plato and others did afterwards. By the way, the Indian mystics had similar information to share. Leucippus inhabited the 5th century BC and may have been the earliest developer of the theory of atomism in the West, though so few details of his life are known. And given that his much more famous pupil, uh, Democritus, is also credited with the first development of the atomic uh, atom theory, that uh, Leucippus's historical existence is questioned. A lot of people don't know if he really existed to begin with. Atomism proposes that the physical universe is composed of fundamental invisible components known as atoms, which in turn animate the visible world manifesting physical matter. The idea is that there are only two things making up our existence. First and foremost, there are atoms, which are imperishable, uh, invisible elements. I don't know. I wrote they're indivisible, but invisible elements that compose everything. These would originate from the divine. Secondly, there is the void. This is the, this is the space that atoms can occupy. The automist contended, did I say the automist? Let me try that again. The atomist contended that since movement exists, there must be empty space within a vacuum, void of movement. Now, Epicurus was another atomist philosopher who lived from 341 to 270 BC. He maintained that an infinite number of worlds existed governed by the same natural laws as what we experience here on the earth. And uh, here is uh, what he says in a letter to Herodotus. Furthermore, there are infinite worlds, both like and unlike this world of ours. For the atoms, being infinite in number, as was proved already, are born on far out, uh, are born on far out into space. For those atoms, which are of such nature that a world could be created out of them or made by them, have not been used up either on one world or on a limited number of worlds, nor again on all the worlds which are alike or on those which are different from these, so that there nowhere exists an obstacle to the infinite number of the worlds. And this is letter to Herodotus uh, 45. Supposing that all atoms derive from the divine, and that furthermore, our realm is a manifestation of those atoms, then the only obstacle to an infinite number of worlds is the capable or willing latitude and longitude of our creator within the void. To state this in slightly different terms, the very fact that we inhabit one world only seems to prompt the distinct possibility that there are an untold number more of them, of various worlds out there. And we're not talking about the Copernican universe. Now it can be said that the quantum domain is one in which the laws of physics becomes meaningless. It is there at the subatomic level the particles can communicate with each other instantly. Actually, they can be in two places at once. Quantum entanglement states that two particles, such as a pair of photons or electrons, can become entangled together. When that happens, they remain connected and affect one another even when separated by vast distances, light years even. Whether they are communicating with each other is, is up for debate, but a good metaphor may be a dance between two performers. Walt 
uh, partners will be in step with the other, but then discovering one ballet dancer spinning on her foot in a, a pirouette maneuver, uh, like on one side of the stage, will also clue us in to another ballerina in uh, that is on the other side of the stage doing the same. The same, you know, maneuver on the foot. If particles are entangled on the quantum level, then why can't the universe do the same? It was the physicist Hugh Everett who first proposed in his 1907, uh, 19, excuse me, 1957 PhD thesis what we know today is the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics, or MWI if you're into acronyms. The MWI asserts that there are infinite copies of our physical reality everywhere. I have shown you in other places that our words as well as our very thoughts manifest the greater realm around us into a place of goodness or evil, the blessing or the curse. And so as a little creator made in the image of the divine creator, every choice that you have ever made has resulted with a universal wave function manifesting in an objectively real world. Now, this, of course, is according to the many worlds interpretation of, of quantum mechanics. According to the theory there is no wave, uh, no wave function collapse. This implies that time is like a mini branch tree wherein every possible outcome becomes physically realized in some world or universe, based, of course, on our decisions, and it starts at the quantum level. Now, Everett's PhD thesis was in actuality a response to the thought experiment put forward by Erwin Schrodinger in 1935. You've all heard of Schrodinger's cat, which was in turn based upon a conversation he had reportedly held with Albert Einstein. I know. According to Everett's hypothetical thought experiment, a cat can be placed unobserved in a closed box with a flask of poison and a radioactive source connected to a Giger counter. So long as the cat remains unobserved in the sealed box, it may be considered simultaneously both alive and dead. Well, according to Everett, the cat is both alive and dead even before the box is open. The alive cat and the dead cat are equally real. They simply don't interact with each other. Depending on what can be observed of the cat once the box is opened will determine which branch of the universe you are currently inhabiting. There is a universe where you are alone and lonely, or perhaps happily single and successful. There is also the universe where you are divorced, widowed, and childless, not overlooking the other one where you are living with your soulmate, your soul flame, if you will, and parenting the children of your union. But then let's not overlook the butterfly effect scenario as it pertains to the decisions of those around you. And of course, like Schrodinger's uh, cat, you may be already dead. So getting back to Philip K. Dick's part in the narrative, in February of 1964, Dick was at home recovering from dental surgery. His wisdom tooth had been removed and the sodium pantothal was wearing thin. A delivery woman arrived with a package of Darwin and when Dick opened the door, he was struck by the beauty of the young woman whom he described as, quote, a girl with black, black hair and large eyes, very lovely and intense wearing a gold necklace with a Christian fish symbol. After the door clicked shut, Dick was blinded by a flash of pink light. The visions which immediately filled his inner eye included everything from abstract paintings to philosophical ideas and sophisticated engineering blueprints. Dick's conclusion was that the pink light was a spiritual force which unlocked his consciousness, 
granting them access to esoteric knowledge. But then there was the ichthys, uh, the Christian fish itself, which he also related to the Vesica Piscus. He later wrote in his journal, these are his words, the golden fish sign causes you to remember. Remember what? Your celestial origins. This has to do with the DNA because the memory is located in the DNA. You remember your real nature, the Gnostic Gnosis. You are here in this world in a throne condition, but are not of this world. You'll have to read my paper, Kings and Priests of the Millennial Kingdom, to see how dead on Dick was regarding the ichthys hung from the lady's neck and his realization that the reign of Mashiach already happened because I too have shown the Vesica Piscus connection in Gothic architecture. I think I showed that video last week. Anyways, that's what essentially happened. As the months progressed, Dick's world was reshaped through a continuing onslaught of visions, the brunt of which included scenes of scenes of ancient Rome superimposed over his suburban neighborhood. For example, a local playground became a Roman prison, complete with iron bars, and rather than children playing, he saw weeping children, uh, Christian martyrs being fed to lions, or at least about to be fed to lions. The visions were so real that he wrote the following to a friend. I hadn't gone back in time, but in a sense, Rome had come forward by insidious and sly degrees under new names, hidden by the flack talk and phony obscurations at last into our world again. The theory formulated by Dick was one in which time was either stopped or skewed into an alternate existence in the whereabouts, get ready for this, of 70 AD. There is that year again. It is the occasion when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by Titus. And of course, the, Philip K. Dick made this connection as well. For the rest of his life, Dick was obsessed with the visions emanating from the ichthys and the pink light. He even wrote a 8,000-page commentary, which he called his exegesis. He even wrote a uh, eight. He even wrote an eight thousand page commentary, which he called his exegesis. I confess not having read it myself, but from the notes I've gathered, he apparently—I mean, eight thousand pages—he <laughs> uh, apparently proposed that the pink light may have been God, or contrarily, the CIA, the KJB aliens, a version of himself from a different dimension. That one's interesting. His deceased twin sister, who in this case, interestingly enough, may be the living writer in that other dimension, whereas he was dead. Or possibly even the first century apostle Thomas, telepathically communicating with him across the lane lines of time. Whatever the ultimate identity of the pink light turned out to be, Dick concluded that the world was still under Rome's dominion, which actually is true, and that just as importantly, he was an undercover Christian revolutionary fighting to overthrow the empire. How many of you guys knew this about Philip K. Dick? I don't know. He sounds rather MK Ultra, if you want my opinion on it. Not quite unlike his 1968 novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which went on, by the way, to become the 1982 Ridley Scott movie Blade Runner. Perhaps the woman with the drugs was a handler and the Jesus or the Jesus fish one of his triggers. Another short story of his from 1966, so that was two years before the electric sheep, uh, 
We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, went on to become the 1990 Total Recall film, and that one is equally saturated with the MK Ultra program. I'm thinking Dick was one of the people he wrote about. And by the way, Dick furthermore fictionalized his experiences with the pink light in his sci-fi novel, Valis, if I'm pronouncing that right, V-A-L-I-S, all capital letters. His 1977 speech in Metz, France was titled, get this, if you find this world bad, you should see some of the others. In it, he assured the audience that his various science fiction novels regarding alternate parallel Earth scenarios, like the Nazi one, were in fact reality. And this is what he says. The world of Flow My Tears is an actual, or rather once actual, alternate world. And I remember it in detail. I do not know who else does. Maybe no one else does. Perhaps all of you were always, have always been here. But I was not. In novel after novel, story after story, over a 25-year period, I wrote repeatedly about a particular uh, other landscape, a dreadful one. In March of 1974, I understood why. This is the, the story of the lady bringing the prescriptions. I had good reason to. My novels and stories were, without my realizing it consciously, autobiographical. Rather than linear time existing from past to present to future, Dick explained time as being orthogonal or right angular. And this was in his uh, France speech, in which change takes place and history can be re rewritten, but only because processes occur sideways in reality. This is the famous speech where Dick claimed we were living in the Matrix some 22 years before the movie was made, if I'm doing the math right on that. And like the movie, Deja Vu was a sign that reprogramming had indeed occurred. And if you remember in the movie The Matrix, Neo sees the cat. And he's like, this is Deja Vu. And immediately everybody else knew that there was a uh, reprogramming that was happening at that moment. According to Dick, something as simple as a light switch might throw us into confusion. We might reach for the light switch in the bathroom only to discover that it was in another place entirely telling us that our reflexes are left over from a previous present, still active at a subcortical or subconscious level. Regarding the deja vu, this is what Dick uh, had to add. I will even say this. Such an impression is a clue that in some past time point, a variable was changed, reprogrammed as it were. And that because of this, an alternative, alternative world branched off, became actualized instead of the prior one, and that in fact, in literal fact, we are once more living this particular segment of linear time. A breaching, a tinkering, a change has been made, but not in our present had been made in our past. But not in our present, it had been made in our past. Evidently, such an alternative alteration would have a peculiar effect on those persons involved. They would, so to speak, be moved back one square or several squares on the board game, uh, which can constitute our reality. He's ultimately describing what we know today to be the Mandela effect or some variation of it. Fact of the matter is these false memories have been falling into people's laps for a very long time though the media was not set up to relay the experience. I should have put in here, I think that the first person to talk about 
Oh, let me, uh, never mind. To help illustrate his point, Dick offered a metaphor. Imagine there exists a very rich patron of the arts. Every day on the wall of his living room above his fireplace, his servants hang a new picture, each day a different masterpiece, day after day, month after month. Each day, the used one is removed and replaced by a different and a new one. It sounds like the Mad Tea Party, if you ask me. So they neither allow the current one to remain, nor do they replace it with the new one. Instead, they cunningly alter the picture already on the wall when their employer is not looking. They paint out a tree here. They paint in a little girl there. They add this. They obliterate that. They make the same painting different. It is not new. It is simply altered. Dick then asks us to take sympathy on this very stupid man who can't decide if it is a new painting or an old one that has somehow been altered while he is cyclically thrust through the experience. It all ties in with a plurality of worlds overlapping Earths. Philip K. Dick brings up another point, which for me is a deeply personal one. He said we might dream of people in places we had never seen as vividly as if we had actually seen them and actually known them. Like quantum entanglement, the dream might actually refer to or act as a window or a movie camera, capturing our existence in another alternate universe. Well, then I have a confession to make. I have had serial dreams involving Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. Full disclosure, I have seen Wilson on three separate occasions, the last of which was a meeting at a signing table in a Long Beach record store. And this was, I don't know, 12 years ago or something like that. But I have had many dreams regarding the genius musician throughout the decades. In these dreams, I was a journalist who met Brian to write a story on his life, only to become close friends and confidence. We would go driving around town together simply to reminisce or stop by at a diner to shoot the breeze. Actually, as the dreams progressed, Brian became kind of a father figure, though we saw each other far less frequently. And then one night, not too long ago, perhaps several months back, I watched the documentary Long Promised Road, which tells the story of Rolling Stone journalist Jason Fine and his blossoming relationship with Wilson. It perfectly encapsulated my dreams and to the point that it, it tripped me out. Watching the movie was a somewhat horrific experience coming to terms with the fact that my dreams, which felt so real, were somebody else's reality. And by the way, I haven't had another dream with Brian Wilson since, since seeing Long Promise Road. Kind of crushed it. To sum this up, the 70 AD timeline is where everything went wrong, skewing reality into a series of parallel existences and alternate universes. According to Dick, the millennial kingdom of Mashiach already happened. And as you know by now, I happen to state the same thing. We actually do have evidence of its, of its existence, particularly in cathedrals, if you want to look at these pictures here real quick. However, if we have no written account of the kingdom of heaven coming down to earth, it's likely because we are the result of decisions from individuals who chose to inhabit another plane of the multiverse, thereby missing out on the party, though we also are responsible in the blame game. And now, just so you know, I'm 
going with what Phil K. Dick is saying here. Well, here is Dick's summoning up of the Millennial Kingdom, by which his entire multiverse theory hangs from its hinges. So I'm quoting from him now. I will be for the next couple of pages. Contemplating this possibility of a lateral arrangement of worlds, a plurality of overlapping Earths along whose linking acts as a person can somehow move and travel in a mysterious way from worst affair to good to excellent, Contemplating this in theological terms, perhaps we could say that herewith we suddenly decipher the elliptical utterances which Christ expressed regarding the kingdom of God, specifically where it is located. He seems to have given contradictory and puzzling answers, but suppose, just suppose for an instant, that the cause of the perplexity lay not in any desire on his part to baffle or to hide, but in the inadequacy of the question, my kingdom is not of this world, he is reported to have said. The kingdom is within you, or possibly it is among you. I put before you now the notion which I personally find exciting, that he may have had in mind that which I speak of, as the lateral axis of overlapping realms which contain among them a spectrum of aspects ranging from the unspeakable malignant the beautiful. And Christ was saying over and over again that there really are many objective realms somehow related and somehow bridgeable by living, not dead men, and that the most wondrous of these worlds was a just kingdom in which either he himself or God himself or both of them ruled. And he did not merely speak of a variety of ways of subjectively viewing one world. The kingdom was and is an actual different place at the opposite end of continuous, uh, starting with slavery and utter pain. So he's saying that on one spectrum is the most deplorable world imaginable, and on the complete opposite is the kingdom of heaven. It was his mission to teach his disciples the secret of crossing along the orthogonal path. He did not merely report what lay there. He taught the method of getting there, but tragically, the secret was lost. The enemy, the Roman authority, crushed it, and so we do not have it. But perhaps we can refine it since we know that such a secret exists. Whether the kingdom is to be established here on the earth or whether it is a place or state we go to after death, I'm sure I don't have to tell you that this issue has been a fundamental one and an unresolved one throughout the history of Christianity. Christ and St. Paul both seem to say empathetically that an actual breaking through to time, that is specifically what they say, breaking through into time, into our world, by a host of God, will unexpectedly occur. Thereupon, after some exciting drama, a thousand-year paradise, a rightful kingdom will be established, at least for those who have done their homework and chores and generally pay attention and have not gone to sleep, as one parable puts it. We are enjoined repeatedly in the New Testament in the New Testament to be vigilant, that for the Christian it is always day. There is always light by which he can see this event when it comes. Does that imply that many persons who are somehow asleep or blind or not vigilant, they will not see it, even though it occurs? Consider the significance which can be assigned to these notions. The kingdom will come here unexpectedly. This is always stressed. The rightful 
faithful shall see it because for them it is always daytime. But for the others, what seems expressed here is the paradoxical but enthralling thought that, and hear this and ponder, the kingdom, were it established here, would not be visible to those outside. I offer the idea that in more modern terms, what is meant that some of us will travel laterally to that better world, and some will not. They will remain stuck along the lateral axis, which means that for them, the kingdom did not come, not in their alternate, alternative world. And yet, meantime, it did come in ours. So it comes, and yet it does not come. Amazing. That's an end quote right there. At no time over the last few years did anyone point me in the direction of Dick's landmark speech to the French-speaking people of Earth. Why must I discover all of this material for myself, if only I had stumbled upon it in an earlier hour? Oh well, there is a time for everything, this being one of them, of discovery. By the way, the Millennial Kingdom is another one of the parallel realities which Dick claims to have experienced. Take it with a salt shaker along with everything else, especially since Dick's body of work reads off like the Monarch Butterfly program and an Intel script. Though here is what he says regarding his slide into the realm of interest. And again, another direct quote. I experienced it just briefly. I am not there now. I'm not sure I ever was. Certainly, I may never be again. I grieve for that loss. Loss it is. Somehow I moved laterally, but then fell back and then it was gone. A vanished mountain and a stream, the sound of bells all gone from me now, entirely gone. Why did Philip K. Dick mention a stream and the sound of bells when relaying his apparent experience in the kingdom of heaven? That just so happens to tie in with the living waters which surrounded dark age architecture and the frequency sounds which reverberated through its walls dripping down its streets. Even the mountain speaks of the hidden wilderness, the, 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 the unseen realm, perhaps even Zion itself. Nobody popularized the multiverse theory quite like Philip K. Dick. Yes, there is a prior Star Trek episode which describes a mirror verse, but shows like Sliders and more recently Rick and Morty, not to mention countless other movies as of late, can all trace their influences back to Dick. His 1977 speech at the sci-fi con convention in France is mentioned often in conspiratorial circles. And yet, why does nobody think about bringing up the brunt of his argument? That is, that we've missed out on the kingdom of heaven upon the earth. That all, that all known universes in the multiverse are, as a habit, the wide road of existence moving far away from our goal, the target. I can't find mention of the Millennial Kingdom anywhere among the pages of multiverse commentary. It is because very few, or I should say, is it because very few people actually wish it to be so? The confirmations continue. We are living in the short season of Satan's deception. The keywords there are season, Satan, and deception. Everyone is always trying to make sense as to the ultimate target behind the lies and distractions of our controllers. And I'm thinking this is it. Whether it is the shape of the earth or the shape of humanity, it all boils down to the kingdom. They are attempting to hide the thousand-year reign of Yahusha Hamashiach, and they will tamper with our very construct in order to deem it so. From the very beginning, 
we were tasked to fight against the indoctrination and walk the holy set-apart path. That right there is the meaning to life. It's all a test. How many of us, I wonder, will be given a passing grade?